insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? So my event planner, our event planner for the One City World Tour just texted me that she's talking to venues and she mentioned that we had a podcast and they wanted to know what podcast it was because they got all excited thinking that like Logan Paul was about to be walking up into there right. or Joe Rogan because it's Austin. So uh, I said, well, you can tell them we got the million all-time downloads. There you go. But, Somebody asked me the other day if we had a million downloads and I said, hell, I don't know. So I got something for you, Scott. Throw it on me, brother. So you were in town last week. And about a week before I ordered you a present okay. and, uh, it didn't come in in time. You know, we're used to Amazon, right? Right. We order something, it, you know, ordered. Uh, so we're actually doing this kind of funny. It's something I'm doing in my office. Every time I have a guy who has a baby that works for us, I'm going to buy them the new balance white shoes as like a funny, like dad gift. Right. I ordered some like two days ago and they got here yesterday. So we're used to Amazon. So this took two weeks to come in, mm. but I got you a present and I have not opened it yet, but I'm going to ship it. To, I'm going to ship it to you or either give it to you, but I wanted to live on the air. Who is your favorite comedian? Oh my gosh. That's a tough call. Um, uh, love Burt Kreischer. Okay. Stop there. Okay. I'll that? be damn. It is uh, a Burt Kreischer t-shirt in the shape of the Kool-Aid logo. Dude, that is and, awesome. And if you have not seen the clip of Burt Kreischer drinking Kool-Aid, please just put that in Google right now. It will be the funniest thing you ever see. Um, and it is, if you look close at the tag, it is a 2XL. So, Man, I appreciate that uh, so much. T- and it's actually, it's a Bella Canvas t-shirt too. There you go. Uh, I need to order me one of these actually. So anyway, got that. Second thing I want to talk about yesterday was my birthday. And by the way, our- thank you so much for that, Bradley. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. One of our, it'd been better if you'd have been here, you know, but, uh, it just took it literally, it, it shipped the day you left yesterday was my birthday. One of my team members, Josh bought me a one square plot of land in Scotland. Right. I can now call myself Lord Bradley flowers. Correct. Um, hereafter referred to as the Lord has by way of notice this 20th day of September in the year. 20,022 in the first year of the reign of our sovereign ring. I'm not going to read it all, but you guys get it. So when you refer to me now, please refer to me as Lord Bradley flowers. And I think this is actually like legal in that I can like get it on like my credit cards and stuff. So that's um, freaking cool. I think, um, Bradley, I think they, I think our all-star guest and I, we, we talk about it once I introduce him here in just a second. I think we both have one of those as well. So I think we're all three lords mm. technically on three this lords. podcast right now. Lord cubed. That's it. Well, guys, hey, we've got a great show for you today. I want to get into it because I've got so much to talk with him about. And he really needs no introduction. I spent last night, I read his entire book that he just came out with. And we're going to talk about that book today because there was some stuff in there that I really want to go over with him today that I was just... I was so excited that he included it in the book 
And I think it's going to help all of you insurance agents out there. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, he is originally from Tampa, Florida, and he currently resides in Valrico, Florida. He is married to the beautiful Annie, and they have four beautiful children, Grayson, Ethan, Caroline, and Landon. Shout out to you guys. I know y'all, if you're not today, one day, all of you are going to listen to this podcast and you are going to be so proud of your daddy and you should be proud of your daddy because he's accomplished a lot in his life and he, he continues to accomplish a lot in his life. In addition to being the principal agent at Florida risk partners, he is the host of the power producers podcast author of the extra two minutes and the book that has just come out and is sweeping the nation that was released, I guess, about a week ago, The Dirty 130. We're going to talk about that today, guys. He is the founder of Killing Commercial, in my opinion, the best commercial training in the industry, and he's an insurance thought leader and speaker. But ladies and gentlemen, more importantly than all of that, he is my friend. It is my profound honor today to introduce to you a first ballot entrepreneurial Hall of Famer and great American, Mr. David Carruthers. How are you, David? Man, I am good, but I am not nearly as good as my kids are going to be when they hear their names, because I got to <laughs> tell you, man, I've been on a bunch of podcasts, and they never want to hear any of them. But the first time I came on the IGP, it's, that's, that's it. it. And I'll be sitting, we'll be in traffic, and Ethan will be screaming from the back seat, turn on the podcast, turn on the podcast, and I'll go to Power Producers and turn and goes, no, I want the podcast. I want podcasts. <laughs> wasn't the there a story? Wasn't there a story where you were listening to Hanley and he said, Dad, why does Mr. Hanley always say the F word a lot? That was Caroline. Caroline. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 She, uh, she, and she has a, a lisp, which makes me love her like 10 times more. I mean, oh, yeah. she's already the cutest thing in the world to me, but with that lisp, it's 10 times better. And she goes, daddy, why does Mr. Hanley always say so many cuss words? Why does he say the F word so much? <laughs> well, honey, he's from New York and that's how they talk. Yeah, exactly. So I have a, uh, a little bit of a, uh, an affinity with the name dirty one thirty because the town that I grew up in the County, the the first two numbers on all the license plates were 30 so everybody calls it the dirty 30 and actually when i was probably 24 years old i got really big into making my own beer and i had this great entrepreneurial vision that i was going to start my own beer company i'm glad i didn't but the name of it was going to be dirty one th or dirty 30 light was the name of go. it so that title when i first saw it months ago really clicked with me hey guys listen to this I want all of our podcaster, uh, podcast listeners to have an opportunity to hear this. The three of us and this, I want to focus on the book today because I've got a lot of chapters I've highlighted last night and things I want to talk to David about. But before we get to that, we all three just came back from the Paradiso Mastermind. So I want to ask each one of you one, one question. What was your biggest takeaway from the Paradiso Mastermind. Bradley, I'll let you go first. Probably, man, I've got, so so the way I take notes, and this is where Scott and I is different, you know, Scott takes copious notes, right? Am I wrong in that? I mean, you, oh, yeah, you take yeah, a yeah, I mean, ton everybody. of notes. I'm not like that. I'm going to take 10 really solid notes and probably like it's all going to be good stuff. Probably for me, so Mike Fusco, 
Uh, mm-hmm. I got there late. Mike Fusco was speaking or about to speak when I got there. Knocked out of the ballpark, by the way. And he he was showing. So his company is on EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, in the book Traction. If you haven't read Traction, go read it. And and we are using that as well. And we've been struggling with some of our scorecard categories. And we're small enough that we don't have a, a separate meeting for each mm-hmm. department. Everybody's in one room. Right. Mike does accounting, sales, service, and I think sure. marketing or operations. And I really enjoyed seeing his tracking categories. I would, yeah. I would love to get y'all thought, but just seeing the different things. Like one of the things they track is number of automations in their agency, which I think is super neat because then you can, you can show that to your team and say, Hey, these are tasks that you guys would have had to do had we not had this automation. So probably just seeing that. And then on a more granular level, uh, our friend, Mr. David Carruthers enlightened me on Tango, which is a uh, phenomenal program. And I sent it to Kenneth, my operations manager in the meeting and said, try not to freak out when you see what this does, but we're going to start using this. Right. So, David, what was yours? I had two. The first one's really short. Uh, I found out that if I quit buying expensive shoes, my EBITDA will go up according to Matt Namoli. <laughs> that was right. the best joke ever. It was fantastic. I love my friends so much because they don't have a problem with busting my chops and I, I can take it just as much as I can give it out. Give it out. So that was fantastic. But on a, on a more personal and serious note, the thing that I probably took out that's going to have the greatest impact on me, my family and in the agency and anything else that I have my fingers in moving forward is the four by four by 48 challenge that we're all going to be doing to raise money for charity. Define all because I don't remember that agreement. Well, we signed you up for it, Lord Flowers, before you got there. Uh, so, right. um, but anyhow, it's uh, it's four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And Chris challenged everybody to go and recruit other agents to do the same and to try to raise, I think, a total of a quarter million dollars for charity. But the reason why that's important to me is twofold. Number one, that we're able to do something to push ourselves and prove that we're capable of doing it while giving back. But not even... 30 minutes after we got through that, we were on break and I walked up to Chris and Chris says, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, cause you're out of breath. And I said, what? He goes, you're out of breath. I said, I literally just walked over from my chair, Chris. Right. He's like, yeah, you seem like you're breathing heavy. We got back that stuck. That stuck with me. Right. You don't want to hear that. Cause I'm, you know, I was an athlete all the way through college have had my fair shares of ups and downs in my physical activity, but that's not what I wanted to hear. So when we got back, Paradiso got a text and I said, listen, my man, you lit a fire under my ass that nobody else could. I said, you didn't even realize that you did it. But every day since then, I've texted him and said, just finished my four by 48, four by four by 48 training today. Just finished it. There you go. Whether he replies to me or not, I don't even care. I'm just letting him know that he's the reason why I'm out there doing everything that I need to do. And I'll be damned if anybody tells me I'm out of breath when I walk up to him again. There you go. I would say for me, outside all of the knowledge that we took in, my biggest takeaway was I was, I don't think I realized, even though I had been hearing a lot about mergers and acquisitions and things like that, consolidation, that's the word that I keep hearing uh, in the industry. I don't think I realized until I got up there with 50 pretty successful insurance agencies, just how much consolidation is going on and how many agents are looking to start that conversation with some of these um, 
different entities in the insurance world that are, you know, buying and looking at partnering with agencies and the different programs that they mm-hmm. offer now. That that surprised me how many people were like, yeah, I'm talking to these people and I'm talking to that people and we're talking yeah. about consolidation and merging and all that. So I think there's probably a lot more of that going on than I even realized. What's well, crazy too, it, for me, it's crazy motivating because you look at someone like PCF who had people there and two years ago, PCF bought no agencies. Right. And last year they were the number two acquirer of agencies in the United States. That's motivating as heck to me. I'm like, okay, if these people can go from zero to 92 agencies, even though obviously their financial position is a lot better than mine or yours. To me, that's, that's motivating. Absolutely. Um, David, I spent last night on the book. I've got lots of questions and you've got lots of answers. So for our podcast listening audience, David has written the dirty one thirty. It includes a book and a workbook. I have not gotten to the workbook yet. I was focused on highlighting and and reading each chapter last night. There are one, two, three, four, five chapters I do want to focus on today that I thought were, to me, for my agency and what we do here, the most important chapters in the book. So, David, six months, 130 business days of focusing on behaviors, not results. What got you motivated to go ahead and get this book out there to everybody? Tell me about how it started. Well, it started about 20 years ago, (laughs) to be honest with you. I mean, that's the whole thing, man. I think that so many times we're dealing with a bunch of talking heads out there right now in the insurance industry, you know, and look, I'm not saying this to throw shade at anybody, but two idiots and a microphone can start a podcast. And you proved that Kyle and I have proven that it doesn't mean you have to know what you're talking about. It doesn't mean you have to have any experience. And so I just decided, you know what? And you know this about me, Scott, because I reference the conversation every time. I'm the guy that's going to give you all 15 ingredients. You want to know how I got to where I am? Brian Will was on Power Producers. He calls it the 20 year overnight success story. People Mm. see you show up online and think that you just somehow managed to hit it right out of the right out of the park with minimal effort. What I've given you is a roadmap for exactly what I've done to be able to build my own book of business to $1.7 million in revenue. I said revenue, people. I'm not talking about premium. Revenue is for sanity. Premiums for vanity. And I understand that not everybody thinks that way, but you can't pay your payroll with premium. You got to have revenue in the building. So if you want to know how I did it, that's how I did it. And I'm getting all kinds of uh, feedback, good, bad, and otherwise. But at the end of the day, nobody can tell me what my story is. I can tell you what my story is. Correct. So I start with chapter one. We're going to skip a few chapters here, but chapter one, get rid of the damn excuses. Get rid of the excuses. Now, the context that you're giving this in the book is part of the Dirty 130, which is challenging agents to start creating content. Stop making excuses. Stop Say, oh, well, if I just had a ring light, I can start making three pieces of content a day. But I love the way you started it with, because it really, that that mantra should go through the entire book. Stop making excuses. I, Absolutely. I, just, I love that. The chapters that I wanted to focus on today that I, when I got to these chapters, I was like, oh, here we go. Now, David has just... A minute ago, referenced something that I told him one time, and that is I am sick and tired of people in the insurance industry not giving all 15 pieces of the Aunt Edna's secret spaghetti sauce recipe, Aunt B's secret recipe for their spaghetti sauce. You know, they've got 15 ingredients, 
you go to your aunt B's house to get your, your Sunday afternoon, Sunday lunch, and, and she's got the spaghetti made and you're like, you know, I want to learn how to make this. This is so good. Well, what if she only gave you 12 of the 15 secret sauce ingredients in that recipe? It's not going to taste the same, right? David Carruthers, guys, in this book, starting with chapter 14, call on your ideal client. Going through chapter 18, he gets the damn hay down where the goats can get to it. And not only does he get it down where the goats can get to it, at the end of each chapter, there is a web address where you can go and download, print off the stuff that he's kind of talking about in those chapters. For instance, his introductory letter that he gives every prospect when he goes out to do his marketing drops. Mm. So, David, uh -huh. If there was ever a reason to buy a freaking $20 book uh -huh. right there. That's right. David, let's just let's stop right there. I know you love to talk about prospecting. I love to talk about, I think prospecting is the, the, the name of the game in the insurance business. The more you do it, the more you're going to sell end of story. It is start with that chapter 14 and let's just do a summary of each one of those chapters real quick. Well, let me pull my copy out so I can remember what's in chapter 14. Cause <laughs> when okay. you, you know, when you tell your life story, you don't necessarily paginate or chapter it. Um, well, while you do that, I want to focus on something you said a minute ago while you pull that up. So I have a lot of younger agents, newer agents reach out to me and one piece of advice I give them when you're looking for a mentor and I'm not throwing shade at all, general advice, when you're looking for a mentor, make sure that that mentor has actually accomplished the things that they are advising you on. Right. Absolutely. Like you'll never hear me give advice on something that I have not done. Right. And if somebody asks me a question about something I have not done, I always lead with, I've never done that. Mm -hmm. Right. Make sure it's very easy. And in a way, Scott, you and I are a little bit responsible because we've told people, Hey, get out there, create content. Like you definitely should do those things. Right. But you also should not talk about things that you have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, of course you should not speculate, but be very, very, very mindful of that when you're choosing to listen to the advice that someone is giving you. And, and by the way, I believe in chapter one or two, I can't remember. David kind of addresses all that mm -hmm. relative to mm -hmm. creating content and putting stuff out there and what, what to put out there, you know, become an educator, be an educator. Right. As, mm -hmm. as it relates to content creation. It's we so easy to fabricate it. The fact yeah. that it's so easy to put content out, makes it so easy to fabricate yeah. perceived success, the optics right. of success when there's really no, you know, behind the scenes, there's, there's nothing there. That's right. Sorry to interrupt you. So, so chapter 14, David, we start with calling on your ideal client marketing drops. Now this is something that I find to be wildly interesting because so many agents have a hard time. They build this stuff in their head a lot like, Oh, what if somebody tells me, no, I can't go out and meet somebody marketing drops the extra two minutes, you know, you're, you're going out and you're just making that introduction to your ideal client. Yeah. hundred percent, man. You know, I mean, that's, that is the way that you do it. You wear out shoe leather. That's what I was told yeah. Buy a couple pair of shoes. I liken it to the first day I showed up to baseball practice in college. Right. I walked in, had my branded bat bag and my matching track suit on and my high dollar Nikes. And I walked in and, and I looked like I looked the part, right. And the coach right. looked at me and said, boy, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? I'm here for practice. He said, you're a pitcher, son. 
Right. He said, pitchers need one thing for fall practice. You need to show up with a pair of running shoes and you probably need to have a pair of backup for when you wear those out because mm. you're running steps all fall. Right. Insurance industry is no different, man. We want to come in. Look, yes. Do I like nice clothing, nice suits, nice shoes, all of that stuff? Yeah. Did I start out with that? Absolutely not. What right. I started out with was a blue collar work ethic and a white collar job. And I had to figure out a way to marry the two. Yeah. And so going out and doing cold call marketing drops is the easiest way to do that. Now, for me, it's not necessarily hard, man. I am an outgoing person. I can have a conversation with anybody. I can walk into any situation and find common ground in about the first 10 to 15 seconds of a conversation. So I do have a skill set that makes it easier for me to do that. But I didn't always have it. Right. I, I didn't always have that. Yeah. So the people who are out there saying, oh, of course, Carruthers can do that because he has the skill set. He just said it on the insurance guys podcast. Let me tell you where I'm coming from, people. Every year of my life growing up, I moved every two years, every three years. My dad was in corporate America. So every two or three years through all of my formative years, I moved and had to start mm -hmm. over again. I was laying in bed with Caroline, which she cuddles me every morning before she goes to school and every night before she goes to bed. And I don't remember if it was in the morning or in the night, but she rolled over one, one night and said, daddy did... Um, did you ever get in any fights when you were a kid? And I said, yes, I did. Daddy, daddy got in fights when he was a kid. That's how we used to handle things. That was neighborhood justice back in those days. And um, she said, well, why did that happen, daddy? And I said, well, you know, I said, you got to understand something. When daddy was a little boy, he moved all the time. So he was a lot of the times he was the new kid and the new kid was the easy one to pick on. And the new kid was the one that nobody knew and they didn't feel bad about making them feel bad. And I said, so, you know, sometimes daddy'd have enough and he'd punch somebody in the face. And sometimes daddy got punched in the face. But right. I can promise you, here's the deal. That's what prepared me to be able to do what I do today. As much as it sucked as a kid that was getting bullied by today's standards that had to fight his way through junior high, high school, whatever else, because he was always the odd man out, channeled all of those experiences and the ability to find common ground in friendships to dissolve all of that has translated into a career of going in and talking to complete strangers. So if people have excuses about, oh, I was never treated right growing up, it's an excuse. Right. Get rid of it. Figure out how to turn that into a positive, channel that energy into a way that you can use it to make money for you and your family, and you will change your generational family wealth. Well, so here's the thing. You mentioned marketing drops. And people have excuses about, oh, if I had this, if I had that, I could do that. If the conditions have to be right for you to succeed, your success is conditional. It's not real success. Right. Successful people, you know, Michael Jordan played through the flu, the flu game. Tiger Woods won the U.S. Open on a broken leg that was broken in two spots. You don't have to have the conditions to be perfect for you to succeed if you are actually successful. Correct. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Bradley. That, I mean... Everybody can make excuses. I do it sometimes myself, especially when I'm, yeah. especially when I go to the gym, I can for, sit here and sure. think of 10 reasons why I'm not going to go to the gym when we get off this podcast, but guess what? I'm going to go to the gym. When we get off the podcast. Well, and coincidentally too, all the stuff that goes through your mind when you're getting ready to go door to door or go talk to a prospect, it goes through David Carruthers' mind too. Right. Yeah. It, it's just handled and overcame. But here's what he does, guys. Here's what he does. Remember, it's called a marketing drop for a reason. It's not called just go shake hands with somebody. He is doing an outstanding job of when he gets in front of that decision maker. Not only is he there to shake hands and get a business card, but he always leaves them with something of value to the prospect, something that they can take back and take a look at and know that 
hey, this guy brought me more than just some donuts and a pen or just shook hands and handed me a business card. It's not that. It's I'm going to give you something here that I think you could really use. And that, I believe, is kind of what kicks the ball off the tee. But I'll tell you what I really liked about this is all of the automations that David is setting up behind the scenes when he gets to that decision maker and gets their information. I think that is one of the big reasons. There's a lot of reasons why he's been extremely successful at this. He's given them something of value when he meets them. And then on top of that, he's doing those automations behind the scenes. David, talk a little bit about that. Well, look, man, I'm I'm like every other human being. If I don't have a system in place to make sure I don't forget something, I'm going to forget something. And I Correct. think that one of the places where salespeople at large, man, it's not just it's not just in the insurance industry. I came back from being at the mastermind in Indianapolis and I decided I was tired of buying cases of bottled water for the agency. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm buying 10 cases of bottled water, like every week, every two weeks, cause we drink a lot of water. And I thought, you know, there's gotta be a better way. It's not even about the money for me. It's about the fact I got to take time to drive to Costco, load it up, then get it into the truck, get it to the office, unload it. it it's an hour, hour and a half of my time, which is worth far more than the cost of the water is. So I asked Nicole to go ahead and have somebody from the water places come out. I'm ready to buy a cooler and the five gallon, um, the five gallon bottles and just have them on automatic replenish so I don't have to worry about it anymore. She told me the first three companies she called didn't even answer the phone. The other one booked an appointment for yesterday and the guy didn't show up and I'm sitting here with my checkbook out ready to buy from him yep. and he's not even here for the meeting. Now, right. why wasn't he here? I really don't know. Was it because I'm not a priority to him? Was it because he was on his cell phone and he didn't take notes and he didn't eventually go back and put it in the calendar or whatever else? So what we did is we made it really simple. We created an automation inside HubSpot that's based off the date that the drop was made and whether or not they hit the decision maker. When they get to their car, they could log in and they sit, put the date in, in, in the app. Right. And did you meet the decision maker? Yes or no. At that point, they're done. They don't have yeah. to do anything, right? right? Because HubSpot's going to make sure they do the next thing. It's going to send out the email depending on whether or not they met the decision maker, but it's also going to create tasks for that producer to remind them that they need to follow up via phone call or they need to stop back by. So, you know, again, we don't create automations to replace human beings. We create automations to enhance the human experience so that my people can do the best job they can for our clients and prospects. But I'm going to tell you, man, my favorite part of that whole section of the book and I, I love it when people push back on this, but we don't, we don't just drop the folder and never go back and see them again. Right. Mm -hmm. I tell them, look, I'm going to leave this with you. And I know you're likely to throw it away and I don't want you to do that. I'm willing to give you a $5 gift card. If you'll just let me know when I can come back by and pick that folder up right now, yep. I don't get all of them back, but I get a lot of them back. Right. What else do I get? Another bite at the apple, man. I'm going to sure. go back and see that person again and be able to continue to build more credibility and a better relationship with them. And people are like, why would you pay $5 for a folder that probably cost you 50 cents? I don't know. Why do you pay the money you pay for Google leads that are crap and people calling off the internet that don't even know anything about you? I like my chances if I'm standing in front of somebody for five bucks. How many That's stupid decisions have we made in marketing that cost more than $5 a lead? I mean, let's be honest. That, that was that was one of the things I really liked in this chapter. You know, chapter 15 talks about following up after the marketing drop, you know, the blueprint to automating your follow-up. So that was chapter 15. And that's every agent in America needs to to, to go read that and, and and follow that blueprint. But then you get into the being creative part of this. And that's what you just mentioned. That was part of the being creative. 
being creative, not only in your automations. This is something Bradley Flowers talks about all the time. If you're going to have automations, guys, that automation cannot sound like it's a robot. That automation cannot sound like it's some canned thing that you've got. You've got to be creative and create things like what David just talks about, which is in chapter 16. Be creative. I'll give you Um, a tip. Put typos in there on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should take with your automations, you should take extra effort to take the extra step, the extra two minutes, if you will, to make sure it looks as authentic as possible. Well, David brings up a great point in the book, too. He's like, you know, if you're going to create an automation that's like, I say, a letter or an email, that that automation has got to have their name on it. It doesn't need to say, dear sir or ma'am. It needs to have me. And it needs to be very conversational. It can't just be some canned thing. But what he's doing is he's staying in front of this prospect, not only Mm -hmm. by, you know, shoe leather, but also once he leaves and goes back home or to Mm -hmm. his office, those automations are slow dripping to this person as well. He's staying top of mind. Yesterday, I got a text, an automated text for my birthday from a car dealership. Laurel and I bought a car from uh, in 2020, and it was done so well. This is another area you need to be mindful of with your automations. It was done so well that I thought it was really the salesman texting me. Right. But the text above it was an automated message that I got from the agents or from the company when we bought the car. And so that made me know it was automated. You know what I mean? And even me, I was almost fooled. You know what I mean? But you should also be mindful of, okay, what texts are they getting before this? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Hey, David, are you doing a lot of texting automations? We do. We actually have a texting integration with HubSpot. So um, we do it with our video proposals. We'll do it for some follow-up, but to, you know, to Bradley's point, some of the absolute best automations I've seen are some of the worst constructed texts, right? Like if, if we were going to be having a conversation, it would look like I had shut autocorrect off on Mm -hmm. my phone to a certain degree. And you got to be careful in your balancing, but you have just enough typos in there to where it looks like it's a human being. And they'll, they'll get me almost every time. But to Bradley's point, when it comes from that automated texting number and I've got a history, I can figure it out. But my goodness, man, if you're doing that to people that don't have that history and they're going to they're going to go for it. And truthfully, we're at a point right now when anybody communicates with us, we have them go ahead and opt in that it's OK for us to text. We got to right. have that on record for all of the reasons that we're all aware of. But a lot of our clients will put text as the preferred method of communication. And here's the problem, man. People out there, they think that, that uh, our clients need to meet us on our ground, right? We, You're going to do business with me. This is how we do business. Let me explain something, people. They're not your client yet. Okay, they're your prospect. And if you want to meet them, you have to meet them where they want to be met. If they want you to talk to them, you need to speak to them in their language, period. In the way that they want you to talk to them. Just before this, you were on a prospect call with someone on Zoom. 100%. And that's exactly right. I mean, why do we try and force people into the pigeonhole? The mode of communication is such a minor thing in the grand scheme of things. If somebody's going to pay me $50,000 in commission, I want to know what dialect of Chinese they want that AOR in, right? Sure. I'll tell you a funny story. Then this kind of coincides with your, your comment about clothes earlier. You know, I kind of went the opposite. I started dressing really nice and then I've slowly gotten worse and worse and worse because I've realized it's not a metric to success. 
the prospect doesn't care. Generally speaking, the prospect doesn't care what you look like as long as you can solve their problem. Now we do have a rule in the office dress for your day. So if I'm going to meet with a company with 20 million in revenue, I'm going to dress slightly nicer than I am a day I'm doing a podcast. But yesterday for my birthday, my entire team dressed up like me. That's hilarious. Flannel shirts, hats, that sort of thing. And uh, I was at dinner last night and someone that I was having dinner with said, uh, that's, that's a little bit of a, a, the boomer generation said, Bradley, you don't dress that sloppy. Do you? And I looked at him directly at and said, yep. And we sell a whole lot of damn insurance dressing like that. Mm. Well, you know, to your point, two things, number one, there's a reason why I wear a Louis V and Gucci. <clears throat> it's well-known. I talk about it when I get up and speak sometimes it's called reach, right? Now I could get up and wear a pair of jeans and Nikes and a normal sweatshirt. And I might get 10,000 people to engage or, or at least see a post that I put up on LinkedIn. But if I wear Louis V, Gucci shoes, whatever else, and don't mention it and just have them in there, you know how many people click on that picture and zoom in to see what my shoes are and then wow. make a comment on it? My views go from 10,000 to 100,000 yeah. just because of what I'm wearing. So you could technically say that when I go buy nice clothing, it's my marketing budget more mm-hmm. than anything else. Right. But the other thing I wanted to talk about quick was, you know, you got to meet, and it goes back to meeting people where they're at. There was a time in my career earlier on where I showed up in a seven series BMW to an account that serviced the agriculture industry. How do you think that went? Right now I got invited in because a good friend of mine that I'd known since junior high is the CFO of the company, but I can assure you, he, he escorted me back down to that car and he said, don't show up in a suit again and never drive a BMW. Next time you come have a pickup truck. And for three years, I went to enterprise and rented a pickup truck every single time I needed to go out and see that client cost me 50 bucks for the day. But again, the account was paying $60,000 in revenue to the agency. Why wouldn't I do that? That's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm not demonizing dressing nice. I'm just saying that. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. said for dressing, what's going to make you comfortable, most productive, that sort of thing. And, and part of mine is like, like when I was at alpha, we had to dress like basically suit and tie every day. And they would freak out if you wore jeans. I remember wearing jeans several times and you would see the manager pull in the parking lot and I would run in the back and change out of my jeans, had a pair of khakis in the back. By the way, I throw all my khakis away when I open portal. And so part of my, the way we dress is to almost prove that we can do it regardless of if we're wearing pleated pants or not. Really? But the thing I, is, that's the expectation now. How many times do I bust your balls about, hey, man, where's the jacket and the black portal hat, right? Every time yeah, exactly. I see you speak, if you're not wearing it, I ask you where it is. It's yeah. the look, man. It's the look. I so, wear this hat because when people see it, they think Bradley Flowers. You know, I, I talked about this on one of the very first podcasts we ever did, Bradley, back in 2017, 18. I can't remember which one. but I was wearing was, suits back then. Well, I was talking about, you know, dressing for your day is what you just said. I, I, I've always just said, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. If I'm going out to sell poultry farm insurance, yep. well, I, I'm going to be in one of my trucks. I'm going to have on a pair of Georgia boots and a, you know, pair of blue jeans. If I'm going to um, meet with a bank, uh, you know, a bank executive, I'm probably not going to wear that. I'm probably mm-hmm. going to wear something else. If you're doing a podcast, you're going to cut your sleeves off. That's right. I've I've always said, I think you and I had a little bit to do, not not a lot, but a little bit to do with when you and I started this podcast, there, there were still a lot of people that dressed like the Jake from State Farm guy. Yeah. I don't see that as much anymore. I don't see as many people. Uh, in the insurance industry doing you now now in the eighties yeah. and nineties, it was suit and tie every day. 
Yeah. It was suit and tie. In fact, I, I still know a few agency owners that are out there that wear a suit and tie every single day. I was talking to an executive, had dinner with an executive from an insurance carrier back in July. And he was telling me, so, you know, back in the day, we were uh, suit and tie every single day. And now we are, or then, then we went to, you could wear a tie without a jacket, jeans mm-hmm. on Fridays. And he's like, now we're in a, a golf polo and khakis. Right. And, you know, there's a, there's something to be said for dressing extremely nice to differentiate yourself. There's right. also something I think to be said to dressing to the times within mm-hmm. reason professionally to differentiate yourself. Right. When, you know, when people walk in my office, every rep that walks in my office, the first time they walk in says some version of, man, this doesn't like an insurance agency. And it kind of coincides with that. Right. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. but you're right. Now I could introduce you to some of my competitors down here that still dress like Jake from state farm. Um, but we're actually, we're getting ready at portal. We're going to do uh khaki Fridays. Turn Other turn agencies head. do June yeah. Fridays. We're going to do khaki Fridays. That's got to wear red pants and khaki shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to buy, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to buy? I'm going to buy khaki joggers because I don't own a pair of khakis, dude. I own no khaki. Hey, Call, call the Mathesons. They probably got those on a uh, subscribe and say probably so. <laughs> probably. Well, see, you know, I have to be, I have one pair of joggers and the reason I don't like joggers is because I'm short, but my waist is not huge. So I either have to buy pants that the waist is too big and they're the right length or the waist is proper. And they're, they look like, like you can't tell they're joggers because they're so baggy in the bottom, you know, you look like MC uh, hammer. <laughs> I found a company though. Yeah, exactly. I found a company though. I can't think of the name of it that sells joggers that actually match my specs. Um, so I'm going to order a couple pair of them. But anyway, hey, we're getting way off subject. Let's get back to dirty one thirty. Hey, David, David, I want to ask you a question. I want these insurance agents to hear what you have to say. You mentioned earlier when, when you were talking about the dirty one thirty book, you said mode of communication really doesn't matter. What if there's an agent out there right now, and there's a lot of them that are selling insurance all over different states, or maybe they just, for whatever reason, they can't get out of the office and they've got to call on prospects. How does that, or does that change what you would do relative? You can't, let's say for whatever reason, they can't do a marketing drop, but they're, they're cold calling prospects. Okay. Does that change anything? What does that change? Well, I mean, I think we learned this during COVID, right? Because nobody could do marketing drops for two years almost. And I mean, there's a common misconception that Florida was the Wild West, but that couldn't be further from the truth. We shut down just like everybody else. The media just didn't want everybody to know it, right? So, you know, essentially what we did is we shortened our process. We uh, brought in, and I'm actually doing a webinar on this at three o'clock this afternoon, but we started using virtual assistants as appointment setters in the agency. So we took our book, went into HubSpot and looked at our prospect list. And we said, these are the ones that only the producers should be calling. And then here's everybody else. And because we weren't able to do the in-person drops, we understood that the yield was going to be much lower uh, for each time we dialed because it doesn't work the same over the phone. So we wanted to be able to canvas a broader uh, spectrum by using the virtual assistants. And honestly, man, here's the problem that I have with insurance agents, right? You guys ever seen the movie Hitch? Yes. One of my all-time favorite movies. I'm going to do a blog post on things insurance agents can learn from Hitch this week. I've been thinking about it for a couple months now, and I think I finally got it figured out. But remember the scene when Kevin James, Will Smith's teaching him how to dance, and he said, <laughs> That's the scene everybody the talks about. Yeah, elbows to the side, don't let it move. And Kevin James, like, then Will Smith turns around, spins, all that. And Kevin James, like, that's what I want. People, when you're calling on the phone, 
elbows to your side. Don't take them away. You don't need to be ultra fancy. How do you get appointments? Scott, hold on. I want you to brace yourself because this is going to be earth shattering. You know how okay. I get appointments? Wow. I, I ask for the appointment. <laughs> we call and we ask them. Right. We say, hey, look, we know your insurance is coming up for renewal. And uh, this is probably about the time of year that you're getting calls from people. And we just wanted an opportunity to earn your trust and subsequently your business this year. Now, Kyle has got some space on his schedule next week between two and three. What time would be good for you on Tuesday? Right. right? Mm-hmm. That's it. It is so easy that somebody from the other side of the world who's not got any experience in calling or insurance can be trained in five minutes to do that and do it over and over and over again. Why can they do that? Because they don't care. They don't get their feelings hurt. No doesn't bother them. They know that they've got so many names on that list that they have to get through that they want. If you're not going to give us an appointment, see ya, we're out. We're going to go to the next one and the next one and the next one. Now, we're not doing that for every middle market account. If Kyle has prospects that are assigned to him, we're not going to put a virtual assistant on calling them. That means Kyle's already got some level of interaction with them. He's going to nurture that. But during during COVID, what we did is we brought these VAs in and that initial meeting ended up just being a quick 15-minute Zoom introduction. Mm-hmm. And we were booking anywhere between five and 25 appointments a week just with the VA. Right. We could continue to do what we were doing, but it was a great supplement to what we had done. And we're still carrying it forward, even though COVID's over, because we have such volume that we can get out of it. Well, it's right. kind of like playing poker. So I'm a big poker player. And the people that do the best at playing poker can emotionally remove themselves from the fact that that's money on the table. It's just chips. You have to, Same with you, have to you have to disconnect yourself from the fact that that is money on the table. That way you can play the hand to the math, the way it's supposed to be played because like everything else, when you insert emotion into it, it changes the way you play the hand. And it's the exact same way with sales and prospecting. You have to remove the fact that you can make a big payday or that this is a huge client all the other end of the call. This is just a person. There's no emotion. It's like one of the best compliments I think Scott and I have ever gotten was when we did the Gary Vaynerchuk podcast. They were like, oh my gosh, you guys have ice water in your veins. I would be so nervous sitting across the table in his office from Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm like, he's just a guy at that point. We've done this 150 times. It's no different. It's the same thing. And to your point about asking for the clothes. So my first office uh, was a square concrete building. I had an office in there, but with paper thin walls, everybody else was out in the open. I could hear every conversation and we were mostly personal lines then. So a lot of volume and overwhelmingly the amount of time somebody did not get a deal. They could not have, they, they could have gotten was just that they simply did not ask for the business. Yeah. They did not tell the client. And I'm not talking about slick, hard grant card on closes. I'm talking about just asking for the business and telling the prospect how to do business with you. Hey, all we need to do to get this going is X, Y, Z. I'll get a payment and you're done. You're out of the insurance buying business. Yep. Yep. Two comments for you. Number one, most people don't know this about me, but there was a period in my life where I played blackjack professionally. And here's the thing, man. Blackjack is the one game in the casino that they give you a card with everything you're supposed to do, depending on what the dealer has and what you have. You've got the best chances of winning, uh, the closest chances of matching the house in blackjack. And what happens? We sit down and we, oh, I feel lucky tonight, baby. 
Yeah. It's not gambling. It's math, people. That's why when I used to play, I would play all hands at the table as the only person sitting there. So I didn't have other people coming up mm-hmm. and screwing with how things were going. Right? right. But the other thing is, to your point, people got to learn how to ask for the order. My nine year old yeah. daughter knows how to ask for the order. Right. It's six. She used to come up and say, Daddy, what do you what do you think we're going to do after dinner tonight? Mm hmm. Right now she comes up and says, daddy, will you take me for ice cream tonight after dinner? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because at six years old, I said, Caroline, what do you want? What do you really want? Mm -hmm. If you want the order, you got to ask for the order. And it's funny because my wife now will say the same thing when the kids are trying to, you know, sweet talk or whatever. She says, look, just get to the point. If you want the order, ask for the order. What is it that you want? I'll give you another example on that, on that note. So I played Texas Hold'em poker at least three nights a week, every week during college. And that's how I got my spending money. There was a regular game I played in. That's how I got my spending money in college. You probably then, sat across from the guy who had the microwave behind him so you could see his cards in the <laughs> I uh, well, there was a, there was one or two guys there that you know were big money guys, and and they would uh, I would reap the benefits of the fact that they're at the table often, right? And we used to talk smack and all. That. I love smack talking and all that kind of stuff. Well, then fast forward. I get out of college. I have a kid. I start in the real world and we get the, we get the old game back together, you know, and I'm playing against the same guy and a few more people. And he tells me, I'll never forget. He says, Bradley, it's going to be different. And he says this very aggressively. I'm not going to say it how he said it, but he says, it's going to be different than it has been in the past. You got bills. Now you got a kid, you know, on that kind of thing. And I actually won the most money I've ever won in my life playing poker that night off of him because nothing had changed. The, the, the emotion was out of it. His emotions were not only tied to the fact that he had money on the table, but that he wanted to beat me really bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, David, I want to end this podcast talking about two things. First is something tactical that I learned at the Paradiso event last week that you have on the very first page of the workbook. Guys, you can buy the Dirty 130 from David Carruthers, or you can buy the book and the workbook that goes with it. I would encourage you to buy both. I bought both. I want to go ahead and just talk a little bit about this, but I see it says, I understand that I am committing to 130 days of business activity that will drive my production to a level it has never been driven. I understand that I must first have the producer mindset. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Before I can embark on my journey towards this producer lifestyle, I understand that I need to commit to the statements below. I'm going to increase my production to this level annually. I will reward myself with this when I hit my goal. I will help blank by holding them accountable and talking about our progress. One of the things that we talked about at the Paradiso event that I think most insurance agents and associate agents don't have is an accountability partner. And I think that's something that we're going to institute in my agency is having an accountability partner month over month. And we may switch it out over a period of like six months. But I, I, that was something I'd never given a lot of thought to, David. I find it interesting that that's number four on the check mark here. I will help blank by holding them accountable and talking about our progress. Talk a little bit about that. What good's going on a journey if you got to go by yourself, man? Right. You know, 
I'm a big fan of trying to include as many of my friends as I can in everything that I do so that number one, I can help them if there's something that I bring to the table that'll make them better and vice versa. You know, but the other part, Scott, that that I didn't have on that front page that I talk about later in the book at the very end is what do you do with that form? Right. So number one, all the insurance agents out there say, well, that sounds an awful lot. Like I understand I'm declining the umbrella that you're recommending. Right. So I, I want people to understand what they're getting into, but I want them to sign. I want them to put their name down. I want them to identify precisely what their goals are. Don't tell me you want to increase your production. Tell me what you want to increase your production to. Don't tell me what you want to get yourself as reward. Put some definition around that. We right. got a we've got a, a challenge group on Facebook for the Dirty One Thirty, where all these people. It's not just insurance agents. It's salespeople from all over the country, and in some cases, all over the world. And they're you know I put a post in there. Show me what you want. Show me the ad for your reward. What are you going to go out and earn by doing this challenge? And people have all kinds of stuff. Some, I mean, some of them want to buy a boat. I don't know about all that now, but you know, within reason, it's easy to do. But what I want them to do is I want them to put the pen to the paper and commit to that right. because anybody can just say they're going to do it. I want them to write it and I want them to sign it as an outward expression that they're buying into it. But more importantly than that, once they do, I want them to print that thing out I want them to put that every place that would be a distraction for them to keep them from doing it. I want them to take a picture of that document and make it the home screen of their phone for the next six months so that every time they pick that bitch up, they can see what it was that they're committing to. That's the difference, right? Anybody can write a book. Anybody can talk about what they know, but the accountability and the action behind it is what matters. And that's where results come from. And I've been on a soapbox for this for a long time. Too many agency principals out there. I'm talking to you people, the ones who sit in my chair, you're looking at results. You want to see what the results are, but you don't follow the behaviors. By the time the results happen, it's way too late. You can monitor behaviors on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and know exactly what those results are going to be. And I know I've done it with producer after producer after producer. And anytime an agency principal reaches out and says, Hey, I got a new producer. I don't know if they're going to make it or not. The first thing I do is I meet with that producer and we define the behaviors that they're going to agree to commit to. And guess what? If they don't commit to those behaviors, behaviors at that point, that ain't on me. That's on you. You chose not to fill your, your tank with gas, right? You right. chose not to drive the car that day. So right. that's the whole point. You can't have accountability without definition around it. Last thing I'll mention, and that's, that's a beautiful way to end this podcast. But when you start the when you start the book, one of the very first things you talk about is that producer mindset. You've got to get into what I call that David Goggins producer mindset of I'm going to do this for the next six months and it's going to change my life. And mm-hmm. I know it's going to be hard again. That's why you put pen to paper, make that commitment to yourself, you know, write it down, date it, and then, and then join the Facebook group or, or get an accountability partner that maybe is doing this together with you so that you two can hold each other accountable. But if you had to give me an elevator 30 second, just pitch on what you believe the producer mindset is. Give it to me. Golden retrievers don't run with pit bulls. Damn right. That's it. Yeah. That's the producer mindset, right? Right. You have to understand that you're going to get rejected. You have to understand you're going to have to push through adversity. You know, we did a webinar yesterday on content creation, and I told everybody on that webinar, you're going to hit the wall. 
Every single one of us hits the wall. I've run three marathons and six halves. I know I don't look like it right now, but I have. And I understand from training for that, what a mental process that is as much as it is physical. And I understand that when I, when I ran the Marine Corps marathon for the 30th anniversary, back when I did it probably almost 20 years ago now, that I, I bought the DVD. I, I learned what the, what I needed to do. I got my nutrition in order. I hired a trainer to make sure that I wasn't going to lose muscle mass. I was in the absolute best shape of my life physically and mentally. And what happened? I hit the wall. Everybody hits it, right? Difference is I pushed through and I finished the race and I'll never forget it. There's a spot near the end of the Marine marathon at that, at that time, I'm sure the course probably hasn't changed where you're heading back up toward Iwo Jima to finish the race. Cause that's where the finish line is, but you go across this bridge and it is called in quotes, the bridge, because that's where everybody hits the wall. It's like the 23 mile mark. And I'll never forget it. We, you know, that's back when we didn't have music on our phones, we had MP3 players. And I had this thing strapped to my, my running shorts. That was the size of a freaking VCR with headphones that was playing because this is how detailed I was in this process. I created my playlist based on the pace that I planned on running the marathon so that I knew what song I was going to hear to push me to the next level at that exact time. Strong. And so I got there and, and my dad was next to me running it. And he's like, he's like, he's like, just slow down and walk. And I was like, no, 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 no. I didn't work for this. Right. right. And so I just, I, at one point I became the Gatorade guy from that commercial, like a decade ago or whenever it was where all his muscles simultaneously failed him. He fell flat on his face and he's trying to crawl to get to the finish line in the Iron Man. I physically grabbed my left leg with both hands and pulled it to make it go forward a step. Then I reached over and grabbed my right and pulled it, pulled it to make it go forward a step. Then I got quicker and quicker and quicker. And as I fought through that, I realized I saw the end. I knew what the goal was. I was going to get it. And there was nothing that was going to keep that from happening. When we got to the end of the race, my dad said, my God, did you see how many people were falling out on the bridge? I said, what are you talking about? I said, I saw people tying their shoes. He said, son, those people were passing out. He said, wow. I could, he said, dozens of them were just falling out at the 23 mile mark. And I said, I hate to sound selfish, but I wasn't worried about them. I had a goal and my job was to achieve that goal. I turned my music up. I did what I needed to do to finish the race. And now I got a medal as a result of that. People, if you want the medal, you got to be willing to do what you got to do to earn that medal. It ain't going to be given to you. I don't care what a society tells you. Not everybody gets a trophy in this world. And that's why golden retrievers don't run with pit bulls. If you want to go out and be a cold-blooded killer, you got to go for the jugular and you have to be willing to do the work to do it. End of story. Guys, I don't think there's ever been a time to end the podcast better than that time right there. David, tell these people what, real quick where they can go, what they can do to go get the book and the workbook and commit themselves to 130 days, six months. Get it for your team. Hey, too. And, and like I always tell you, Bradley, I tell all of our podcasters this every week. Try to anyway. I know I skip a few weeks. If you want to increase your confidence level and your, and your self-confidence, keep promises to yourself. So when you start this, you better finish it because you don't, if you don't finish it, it's going to lower your self-confidence. It's going to lower your, mm -hmm. that, that mental image of yourself and keeping promises. So if you start it, you better start, you better finish it. But David, tell everybody, tell everybody how they can get the book. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. Number one, I got to tell you, I had one guy that bought the workbook only, and then he was complaining because there was nothing in it. I'm like, it's not my job to write your story, bro. It's yours. So you just right. bought a blank book, go fill it out. Right. Right. So, 
don't just buy the workbook. You need the book to go with it so you know what it is that you're tracking. But you can get it two different ways. You can go to dirty-130.com and you can buy a bundle pack there. It's five bucks cheaper to do it than it is on Amazon. And I hand sign every one of those books that goes out. Or you can go to Amazon and get it um, on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. And coming up in October, I'm going to release it as an audio book. This time, unlike the dirty or the extra two minutes, uh-huh. I'm doing the audio book myself so that when I want to drill down on things, I can just go off for another minute or two so that I can give right. you even more than what I was able to give in the book. So those are the two ways to do that. If you need the accountability, which every single one of us does, come join the Dirty 130 Facebook group. It's a challenge group full of salespeople from all over the place. And I love it because every the first challenge was for everybody to create a buy video and share who they were, where they came from. Every single one of them starts out with, you know, I'm not really comfortable doing this, but that tells me we're winning right there. They're already started and there's no way in the world that I won't push them to achieve everything that they want. Because if they're willing to put themselves out there and be uncomfortable, you can be sure that I have their back 10 out of 10 times. David Carruthers, I love you. Love you too, brother. Bradley Flowers, you got anything before I end this thing? No, sir. Guys, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. This book gives you the blueprint. All of Aunt B's secret sauce recipes here, all 15 ingredients. Uh, If you need help in sales, if you're struggling in sales, if you're just, you've hit a wall in your sales career and you just need something to kind of revitalize you and get you back to where you maybe were a year ago, three years ago, whatever it was, I would highly encourage you to go get this book as i end every episode rewards come from action not discussion get your asses out from behind that desk today go out into the big bad world sell insurance make money for your family for your wife for your husband for your kids college fund for your parents that are struggling out there figure out what your why is and go out there and make money and live the life that scott howell david carruthers and bradley flowers know for a 1000% fact that you deserve to live. I don't care. I don't give a shit what your parents told you, your boyfriend, that person, when you're in the 10th grade that said something to you, wipe all that away, go out, live the life that you deserve to live, go write good business for the insurance or go write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley flowers. I love you. Love you too, buddy. Thanks, David. My Thank pleasure, Joyce. Thank you, guys. Guys, you were listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at Scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.